0: sales tuners episode 83 mary jane copps the phone lady
1: and that's what's intimidating about a phone call for people they have to be ready to answer a question right in that moment or they have to be ready to come up with a good question right in that moment
0: This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that gets sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. It's time. It's time. It's sales tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Madeline Albright, who said, it took me quite a long time to develop a voice. And now that I have it, I am not going to be silent. Today's guest has spent more than 30 years analyzing the psychology of phone calls. Mary Jane Copps, aka The Phone Lady, is on a mission to improve telephone interactions between businesses and their clients so we can avoid the miscommunication happening when all we rely on is text-based exchanges. Hey, sales tuners! I want to do a special episode where I answer your questions on the show. If you've got a challenge you've been working on and would like my help, I've got a couple of options for you. First thing you can do, shoot me an email with subject line, ask JB, and let me know what you've got. Second, if you want to be heard on the show, you can record a voice message for me at speakpipe.com. That's speakpipe.com. It's a very simple way to record a question, and then you can send me the link totally for free, again, with the same subject line, ask JB. Preference will be given to those with voice messages, but let's see what you're working on. Email is easy to remember, jim at salestuners.com. All right. Make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com/83. But now let's get to the conversation where Mary Jane talks about an amazing organization she's involved with: investing in the next generation of female entrepreneurs.
1: I am all about excellent communication. I think when we can have great conversations with people as, uh, when we're in sales, we have, we open up a lot more opportunity. We get to really learn and build relationships with our prospects and our clients. And that creates more and more opportunity. So you're always building for more than the sale in front of you, but for years in your business.
0: I know I've sold to people multiple times at multiple different companies, so I couldn't agree more uh, with what you said there. And we're going to talk all about uh, the phone and creating these conversations. One of the things I want to start with is something maybe a little bit personal. Uh, You're involved with an organization I I learned uh, called SHEEO, which is helping invest in female entrepreneurs. Can you tell me more about that organization?
1: The phrase or the cut line for CEO is radical generosity. So, women who um, have been successful as entrepreneurs or business executives bring to the organization $1,100 that they put on the table. And with that $1,100, we fund uh, last year five. Uh, startups here in Canada. This year, seven in Canada and five in the U.S. Uh, for, for the U.S. audience. Um, those women get to uh, just have the money. They All seven women get into a room that own these businesses and they decide how much each of those seven businesses get of the bounty. So it's a little bit different of approach. They don't all get $100,000. They they look at the $700,000. They look at each other's financials. They look at each other's uh, aims for growth. And they decide what each company should get from the $700,000 we've raised this year.
0: That's simply fantastic. Mary Jane, tell me, like, what's the biggest um, success story maybe that you've seen come out of the program?
1: The one that moved me to get involved is... Called the A-linker, which is spelt exactly the way it sounds, and it looks a little bit like a tricycle, although it's much—it uh, has greater height, and there's no pedals. You move it with your feet. <laughs> but what it does is allows people with mobility issues that might otherwise be stuck in a wheelchair or using. Um, multiple canes or whatever to actually get around in the world by using their feet and having these wheels behind them. And in the video that I watched, there was a husband and wife standing together and the wife said, we walked beside each other today for the first time in 15 years. And I was like, okay, that makes a big difference.
0: That's simply fantastic. What a what a wonderful program to, to get involved with, but also to be able to pay it forward uh, with, with the success of other uh, women. I think that's fantastic.
1: Yeah, it's amazing.
0: Well, Mary Jane, on this show, as you know, we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that has led to your success. So I want to start with just your sales process today. Uh, what is the phone lady or who is the phone lady? And why does the typical customer decide to buy from you?
1: my focus is um all about communicating effectively on the telephone so it's very narrow um i don't talk about i'd certainly talk about the relationship between phone communication and email but when i work with clients what i'm doing is looking at the language they're using on the phone, right down to the specifics of each word they're using when they're calling clients and prospects. And I'm also constantly researching the psychology of phone communication, which has changed dramatically even in the last five years
0: definitely going to dig into the psychology of phone communication and that phone phobia. But before we do, uh, I can't imagine you've always been the person you are today. So take me way back. How did you get involved in sales?
1: I had the the privilege in my career arc to work as a national real estate journalist. And I'm taking us way back to 1986. Um, And in that job, I was hampered by the fact that it was very difficult sometimes to reach the people I needed to interview. And I was on deadline and print directories would be out of date and receptionists would put me through to the wrong people and so on and so forth. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if there was a sort of a 411 for journalists, someplace I could call and say, I'm doing an article on condominiums in New York City who are the best developers to call, something like that. So this idea persisted in my mind. And in uh, 1987, I quit my job and um, started a business called MediaLink. And it was um, an on, North America's first online directory for journalists. So the journalists used it for free and the companies that wanted to be interviewed or be, be quoted as experts paid an annual fee to have their information in that database.
0: That's really cool.
1: It was really cool. It was a startup before we had the word startup. Um, but of course, as every entrepreneur probably I realized I had to sell, and I had thought it was going to be very easy for me because I'd spent years as a journalist doing interviews on the phone. My phone skills, I thought, were impeccable, (laughs) and it was a disaster. So I put a mortgage on my house to start this business. I had a business partner. We'd get on the phone at 8 in the morning. We'd stay on the phone till 6 or 6.30 at night, and we got nowhere. It was just dreadful. And um, I finally started recording my calls and it didn't take me very long to figure out, wow, here's why I'm blowing this. And from that moment on, I have listened to audio of sales calls of myself, of my sales team and in the work I do today. Companies send me the audio files of their sales team to listen to.
0: I think that's absolutely fantastic. Uh, have you heard, you've ever heard of the the, the um, uh, company today called Harrow? Help a reporter out? Yes. So you were, uh, what is that, 25 years uh, too early uh, for that? I think uh, had the internet been around, you would have had a startup that probably would have raised many millions of dollars uh, to go out there. But uh, I just think wrong time, wrong place for that. But it's funny to me that you recorded your own call uh, Mary Jane, and that was the thing that really triggered all of this for you to figure out how one you could get better, but then really breaking down and analyzing the things that were going wrong or the things that you were saying, how you were saying them, all that kind of stuff. So I, I think that's fantastic. Is that what caused you to fall in love with the phone, or, or how did how did that happen?
1: Well, I think I've always been in love with the phone. So I come from um, a very small gold mining town in northern Canada. The phone uh, growing up was probably more important than the television in those years. So a real way to connect with with family and with friends, and I spent – in my young years lots and lots of time on the phone and i put myself through university working as a uh, receptionist and then an office manager for real estate offices in toronto so again the phone was really key in terms of um, creating revenue for me i got paid very well because i was a very good receptionist um so it's always played a central role In my career, when I moved on to real estate journalism, um, I was never afraid to call the big players in the development industry and get them on the phone, and I was very good at listening on the phone, so my interviews went well, and the articles were always published and well-received. So then to simply move into sales on the phone, uh, other than being shocked that I was a salesperson, Uh, went relatively easily once I figured out, oh, I get to use this, this tool that I love, but I have to use it in a different way.
0: Well, I feel like your love for that tool is the opposite of what most people are experiencing today. A lot of people have phone phobia. It's either that or the phone has gotten very heavy and they just can't lift it. So how are you getting uh, today's sales reps and today's sales managers to pick up that phone again and actually make phone calls to their prospects and to their clients?
1: It is a challenge because we have um, put ourselves in a position where we have adopted email and email is much easier because it allows us to edit it gives us time to think a conversation our interview as you know jim even though you you can edit this if you choose still we're doing this but as we think on our feet and that's what's intimidating about a phone call for people they have to be ready to answer a question right in that moment or they have to be ready to come up with a good question right in that moment. And that's difficult for people. What I like to say is that talking on the phone has a lot in common with public speaking. So to be good at it, you have to practice. But what's important to know about it is that the sound of the human voice Contains so much information that you are really losing out on opportunities if you don't speak to your clients and your prospects in real time.
0: Go further uh, into that with me, uh, Mary Jane, when you say, because I, I, I get it, at least I think I get it. The sound of the human voice contains so much information that we're losing uh, if we, you know through mediums like email and, and uh, just online forms and things like that. But I guess this goes back to even to the psychology of phone communication. That gives you a lot to work with. But what are some of those things that, that are falling through that we're not getting if we don't use that medium?
1: Let's use one that's quite common. If I have sent you a proposal by email and you've looked at it and you email me back and say, no, no thanks right now, Mary Jane. Well, I don't know why you said no. I don't know if it's like, no, thanks, Mary Jane, not right now. And you mean not right now. Or if it's a put off. I don't know what questions maybe were in your mind while you were reading it, that if I had you on the phone, I could hear that you had an unanswered question. In the way people speak, we can hear when they're getting excited. We can hear when they're hesitating. We can hear when they have a question. We can even hear when they want to say yes, but the budget is the problem because the tone of their voice changes it's like mary jane this is all great but i know what that but means that but means you don't have the budget right now so let's talk about your budget
0: so it's not a flat out, no, shutting the door, never going to be able to do something like this. It's truly understanding the context behind the the words that are being said, as you said, the tone and flexion changes and and whatnot that we just simply can't get via
1: text. We can't. And we have, you know, there's the miscommunication uh, via text as well. The, the other thing that we lose is What I like to say is that none of us can solve a problem if we don't state it out loud. I can't stop drinking less coffee unless I actually say out loud, I need to stop drinking coffee so much. Well, it's the same with our customers and our prospects. If they don't say the problem they're having out loud, they're not going to hire us to solve that problem. So that's very difficult to achieve by email. It's in conversation when we're really listening to them and for everything they share with us, we ask them another open-ended question that we have the opportunity to help them share with us what the real problem is. And as soon as they do, we can say, I believe I can help you with that.
0: It took me a second to figure out where I thought you were going with that. The notion of you can't solve a problem until it is set out loud. But once you really focused in on that prospect, it completely resonated with me. Because one of my biggest things that I teach, you know, the, the sales reps that I work with is like, it doesn't matter what you sell. It doesn't matter the solutions that you have. It doesn't matter what the features and benefits are. It doesn't matter. None of that matters until you get the prospect to reveal to you what's actually going on in their world. You're, you're kind of screwed. Like you need them. You, it, it, it takes two to tango right? or you know, that whole notion. And so for you to say, you need them to state the problem out loud. They need to hear themselves say it. I think that, uh, that that's fantastic.
1: Yeah, and there's you know, even when you're describing it and, and if I was across a desk from you, I'd give you a high five right now because that's that's so true what you said. There's a moment of vulnerability in the selling process where the relationship gets built. And it's very difficult to have that moment by email. The prospect needs to share what the problem is and be comfortable sharing with you, we have a problem. So there's some work to do ahead of time to make get, get them to that point where they're comfortable saying, Jim, we've got a problem here. But once they say that and then you respond, you're both vulnerable in that moment because you're saying, well, I believe I can help you with that. And that's where the relationship really starts to grow.
0: Mary Jane, I suspect there's some listeners uh, out there right now that are thinking, you know, this is really just kind of too soft, too mushy for me. This stuff really doesn't work. (laughs) I already hear you laughing. What do you say to that?
1: I guess it depends how you view selling. So we can have a product or a service that, you know, we want to sell you and, and then we want to go away. We don't necessarily care if we have a long-term relationship with you. But that's not going to build you um, a long-term business. It's going, and it's not going to or wouldn't give me anyway the joy and complete happiness I get out of working with my clients so I guess it depends what you want. Do you want to simply sell something and walk away, or are you in it to really build for the future and create relationship? And if we're creating relationship, you know, some of that is a little soft and mushy, but I get paid really well for soft and mushy because my clients have clients that want to build relationships.
0: I'm sitting here smiling really big and shaking my head because you're exactly right. You get paid very well because your clients have clients who want to build a relationship. And one of the biggest troubles that I see with today's reps is they don't think about that. And what I mean by that is they don't think about things from the buyer's perspective. The buyer is not looking for this transaction and for you to go away. In fact, buyers are so scared of the fact that some people could be calling on them to sell them something they don't actually need and they're going to walk away from it. They're afraid that that's going to harm their career or their uh, opportunity for promotions, they're hoping that someone will stand by them and make sure that the solution that they uh, just purchased is actually going to work. And yes. it, we, we need that. And that's, I think, becoming ever more present as technology is continuing to explode and the, the, the communication methods that are outside the phone or even face-to-face meetings, we're, we're losing those and we're losing some of that human connection. So I, I'm with you.
1: I don't think I had uh, I had colleagues that made me watch uh, Wolf of Wall
0: Street. <laughs> I was and, actually going to bring that movie up when I was talking about this <laughs> potentially being soft and mushy, but please go ahead.
1: Right, and uh, Glen Gary, Galen oh, yeah. Ross, I've watched several times. Um, that's not who I ever wanted to be, and it isn't why I sell. I sell because. I love to serve. And I think you're right. That's what I see in the future is that more and more of my client base and your client base are going to want relationship as part of the sales procedure, as part of the sales package. It's easy to go online and order something from Amazon and not really have a relationship. And that's great. I, you know, I, my book sells on Amazon. I'm not anti Amazon by any means, but then there's other things in our lives where we really want somebody to, as you say, stand by us and make sure this is the right solution and keep growing with us.
0: There is a lot of money out there for someone to go capture if they just truly slow down, have the empathy of the buyer and make sure that it's known that they're going to be there with them. I'm just absolutely loving uh, this conversation. Mary Jane, I'm sure there's plenty of things that have changed since you delivered your first workshop uh, on the phone, but give me some context of what are the biggest things that you've seen change with phone-based selling, phone-based communication.
1: I'm going to choose first something that's changed for selling overall, whether it's face-to-face or on the phone. And it's something that I continue to research. Um, it's known as decision fatigue. And I'm fascinated by this. It is the study of the fact that right now in the world we live in, we are all making more decisions every day than ever before in human history. And the number of decisions you and I make each day, they believe, is 36,000. And now I won't take up the time here, but I have proven that to myself. I've walked through a day and sort of added up all my decisions. And, and really, it relates. It's an unintended consequence of technology. Um, an easy visual is if you are on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever your pleasure think how many decisions you're making just as you're scrolling through to decide where to stop. You're making a lot of decisions. There are no's, No, I'm not going to stop here. I'm not going to stop here. I'm not going to stop here. You make a lot of decisions and then when you do stop, are you going to read it? Are you going to like it? Are you going to share it? Are you going to comment on it? We spend a lot of time making decisions and when we drive a car, we're making a decision every 20 seconds. Now, why this is important in sales is that all of us are um, reaching several times a day when we cannot make another decision. So as salespeople, our role has changed. We have to help our prospects and clients make decisions. We have to use language such as, Jim, based on everything you've shared with me today, the next best step is. As opposed to saying, Jim, what what would you like to do next? Because what we hear more often today is, I'll get back to you, which is like sales purgatory, that I'll get back to you. And it's it's not because they don't want to, but because we've asked them a question and they can't make another decision. So they're going to put the decision on.
0: While you were going through all that, Mary Jane, I I had a reaction, uh, and it was uh, it's interesting because I've read these studies and I have pushed back hard on this notion of decision fatigue. But as you were talking, I was like, okay, wait a minute. Yeah, I think I'm wrong. I think I'm deciding right now that there, there's more to this, and it was interesting because you know w- when I've kind of seen the the reports and the research, it's kind of like, you know, uh, you should eat the same thing every single day because that's one less decision you have to make. You should wear the same type of shirt every single day, the same color so that you don't have to think about those types of things. And you can use the cognitive capacity that you have for the things that matter as opposed to all those little decisions. But when you started going down this notion of 36,000 micro decisions, how far you're, you're scrolling on Instagram and whether or not you're going to double tap to like it, it was fascinating to me because I got to the point where I know I go home uh, at night and I have conversations with my wife and I am done. I'm mentally exhausted. I, and, and meaning I don't want to make any more decisions. She says, what would you like for dinner? And like, I want to flip out because I'm like, I don't care. Just put food in front of me and I'll eat whatever it is. Or where do you want to go for dinner tonight? I'm like, I, just pick, just pick anything. And it is because of what you're saying. I, it's, it's all those micro decisions we have to make. And so, you know, I took a couple of notes here myself. I love asking uh, prospects, you know, what do we do next? And the notion is, I want them to say, I don't know, so that I can give it to them. But why not just take that off their plate and give it to them and see if that's what they want to agree with instead of having to come up with it on their own? So,
1: a lot of the work I do is working with salespeople who have to book appointments or demos. You have this conversation and then you say, So, when would you like to get together? Well, such a high percentage of people are going to say, well, you know, let me think about it. I'll get back to you. Send me an email. And really, you can, you can get to the next step so much faster by saying, well, based on everything we've talked about, the next best step is for you and I to book the demo. And I'm available next week on Thursday morning or Friday afternoon. What works best for you? And I mean, they can still say, no, 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 I'm not ready. That's fine. So you're not being so aggressive as to be rude or anything like that. But you're, you're helping them make a decision. And that's what our clients want us to do. They want our help because they are overwhelmed.
0: Mary Jane, I know you have this notion uh, of inspiring conversation, but let's get really tactical and understand that. What are the you know the top two or three tips that, that you have for the people out there listening so that they can get better on the phone or even just get past that initial insecurity, as you said, of not knowing what to say or how to react to a question that's posed?
1: What is key here is to understand that talking on the phone is a lot like public speaking. And And if you were going to give a speech, you wouldn't stand up and not do any preparation. So there are very few people who could simply pick up a phone and be really great at using it as a sales tool without doing some work first. And the work needs to be around your first 20 seconds of the call. So one thing to keep in mind is that It was 57 years ago that Bell introduced cheaper long distance to businesses in North America. And this is an important historic fact because as soon as Bell did that, the telemarketing industry was born. We all started receiving calls from salespeople who simply wanted to sell us something quickly and weren't interested in us at all. And of course, that business grew and grew and grew. And so what that means is culturally, we are all defensive when we receive an unexpected call from someone we don't know. It's never personal. It is cultural. So our job at the front end of a phone call is to dissolve that defensiveness very, very quickly. And the way that we can do that, my first early lesson, if I can go back to sitting in my living room with my business partner and discovering that, oh my God, I'm not that good on the phone. And I recorded my first call and it turned out that the mistake I was making, I was 29 at the time I was phoning CEOs and VPs. So I was nervous and i was visualizing that i was interrupting their day so i started every call with it's mary jane cops and i'm just calling and on the recording i could hear that they didn't hear nervous and polite they heard i'm just calling i got nothing better to do i am just sitting here dialing phone numbers and they also heard i'm just calling there's no value to this call i'm I'm just calling you. So the very first thing I did was I took the word just out of my vocabulary. It took me a long time. But every time I did not use that word, I made a sale. And that still holds true. When we use iffy language on the phone, we're telling the prospect, we're not sure if there's value in this conversation. So you really want to look at that language and make sure you're not using, you know, just, try, maybe, if, hope. All of those words on the phone are heard as if you're not sure of what you're doing.
0: So give me an example of the opposite of that. How could we be more direct in those initial 20 seconds of of the
1: call? So if I was to call you, I'd say, hi, Jim, it's Mary Jane Copps calling from the phone lady. And the reason for my call today is, so what happens there is, first of all, I also haven't asked you how you are.
0: Amen to that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) When a total stranger asks after our health, we get more defensive. So you've got to get rid of that. And what has happened, you've picked up the phone and you don't recognize my number, so you have two questions that go through your mind. And the first one is, what is this about?
0: Yep. I've even heard that on the phone. <laughs> what's this about?
1: So I'm going to, I, you pick up and I say, hi, Jim, it's Mary Jane Cobbs calling from the phone lady. The reason I'm calling you today and what you hear is she's going to tell me what this is about. That's fantastic. I don't
0: have to, I don't have to say what's this about. She's going to tell me.
1: So I'm going to give her 20 seconds and you do you give me 20 seconds because you want to know what the call is about but the next question you need answered is what's this got to do with me Mary Jane and the biggest mistake that we that my clients make is they start talking about themselves and that's not the point so if i start saying to you well jim i'm calling you because i own a business called the phone lady and i've worked with over 400 companies and Yeah, you're finished. You're done. But if I call and I say, Jim, the reason for my call, I understand that you have a team uh, there of outbound salespeople, and I work with similar teams, um, helping them be more effective on the phone and create more revenue. Well, that's about you.
0: Yeah, and I can start to apply that to like, okay, yeah. So check, check, check. Okay, and then I'm, I'm now I'm waiting. I'm anticipating what you're going to say
1: next. And so what I say next is an open-ended question, because where I want to go is I want to inspire conversation. And the the question that works best for me is I will say to you, so Jim, how do you decide which trainers come in and work with your team?
0: Well, we don't work with any uh, trainers, uh, Mary Jane.
1: Okay. And is that a, a corp, overall corporate decision? Do you have in, inside internal trainers that work with your team or how do you help them acquire new skills?
0: And so this is where the preparation comes in that you're talking about, because you can kind of plan for several of the responses that may come to that, either positive or negative, and start to be able to ask follow-up questions.
1: Well, yes. And not only that, through practice. So I've used that pitch, how, how, I don't know, thousands of times. And so I know from experience that the call normally goes in one of three directions. One, someone will say, we don't make those decisions here. They're made in New York or they're made in Vancouver. They're made in San Francisco. Okay, fine. So then I get that contact information and I move on. Or they'll say to me, well, we make those decisions once a year and we're going to be looking at it again in December. No problem. Are you comfortable with my following up with more information in November? But the third reaction that I most often get is they don't even answer the question. They say, tell me more about what you do. And now the conversation simply takes place.
0: Because at that point, they've given you permission to do some amount of a, of a pitch uh, to them as opposed to you just calling and giving it to them uh, without that permission.
1: Well, and they've also told me they're interested. So I know that I, that this idea of training for their outbound sales team and creating more revenue, that they are expressing interest. So then I do have, you know, I have my pitch ready on what the sales, um, on what the phone lady does, but then I need another open-ended question because again, as you and I talked about at the beginning, what I need is for them to tell me what their challenge is.
0: And that becomes the key that unlocks the rest of your opportunity to have that conversation.
1: Absolutely. So one of the things I get people to do in my workshops is really craft open-ended questions. Because as human beings, and I do have to do some research on this, but we default to close-ended questions naturally. We ask questions that only get us a yes or a no. And in my early years of selling, I would do two close ended questions before asking an open ended question and it worked, but people don't have that kind of time today. I have to get them to open ended questions very, very quickly because everybody's overwhelmed. So uh, you really need to craft them ahead of time and then test them out. And I think this is where founders and salespeople falter they do phone calls they maybe do 10 or 12 phone calls and they don't get what they want and they give up but it's a craft it's a skill i didn't learn to ride a bike the first time i got on one i didn't learn to drive a car the first time i got behind the wheel there's very little in life that we learned how to do even walking uh, quickly so to be an effective phone communicator you have to keep working. Out.
0: I was working with a client of mine today who has been an extraordinary uh, programmer in his career as the CTO of his last company. uh, They just got acquired for many millions of dollars. Now he finds himself as the founder again, but this time it's as the CEO and he has taken it upon himself to learn how to sell. And so I'm working with him to to, uh, uncover some of these things and he has this, uh, I can't say that word, he has this paralysis of not wanting to take any action that's sales oriented, whether that's an outbound email or an outbound call or anything along those lines, because he just knows he's not good at it. And I said, my goodness, the first line of code that you ever wrote, was it good? He said, well, no, of course not. I said, okay, the first time you ever submitted a Git or a pull request to to GitHub, was it any good? He said, oh, heavens no. I had to have code reviews and all this kind of stuff. I said, what makes you think you're going to be great the first time you send an outbound message or make an outbound call? And he just stared at me for a minute and it finally clicked and resonated. But uh, I I love all the stuff that we're talking about, Mary Jane. But here's one of the things that I feel like I hear people saying as well. Uh, This is all great. It's all fine and good. But the chances of somebody actually picking up the phone today... Are so low that it's not efficient for me to make these phone calls. Do you have any thoughts around that notion?
1: Oh, I do. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, they're absolutely right. I take on um, one big cold calling project a year so that I know that what I am training is still valid. And this uh, past year, I was calling SaaS companies in san francisco and that was really hard so i think the SaaS industry uh software as a service industry um getting them on the phone is incredibly difficult and you do have to work with other tools like linkedin and uh email and so on to to book an appointment for a phone call but you can still get the phone call but that's one specific industry um, the previous year I was working for a company in England that um, sells software for the textile industry and they were moving into Manhattan and Long Island and my job was to book them seven appointments with CEOs of textile companies in Manhattan and Long Island and it I did it all by phone it wasn't a major challenge And I was able to do it in 21 days. I got them seven appointments. So what's important to understand is that voicemail plays a role. It's just not the role it used to be. So I can't phone you and leave you a message and say, Jim, will you call me and give you my phone number and think that that's sufficient? It's not. It's 100% my responsibility to reach you. It's not your responsibility to call me back. So I have to change how I leave messages in order to inspire you to call me back. The idea is, first of all, what we do is we call people and we leave them a voicemail and then we get back on the phone or we go to a meeting or we get in our car and and we are creating phone tag constantly. And this is what's led to people not returning calls because they just assume you're not going to be there. So what you want to do in your message is say, Jim, it's Mary Jane calling from the phone lady. I'm available today until 2 o'clock. Now, if we don't connect by 2 o'clock, that's fine. No problem at all. I'm going to follow up with you again on Thursday. Or I'm going to follow up with you again later this week. Or I'm going to call you again early next week. The psychology of that message is if you picked it up at 230 one of the things that happens is that you hear my respect for your time. And we haven't put a lot of, we, we haven't talked about this yet, but time is as important and as valuable to people today as money. So our communication with our prospects and our clients really has to demonstrate our respect for their time. Otherwise, we're going to lose the opportunity. So by telling you, I'm available till 2 When you come back to your office, it's 2.30, you pick up my message, you go, wow, that's great. I have to call her back. She was really precise about that. And she's going to call me again. That means that call must be important. Or she wouldn't say that. She wouldn't make that commitment. So I'm creating interest and curiosity by how I'm leaving my message. And the next time I call, when my number shows up on their screen, if they're there, they will pick up. Now, the other thing I can do on a message is I can say, hi, Jim, it's Mary Jane Copps calling from the phone lady. I have one quick question for you. And I'm available till 2.30. And you can reach me at this number if we don't connect. I'll try. I'll call you again on Thursday. So what I'm doing there is I'm inserting that phrase. I have one quick question for you. And that works with human curiosity. And it's incredibly powerful. So it doesn't get everybody to call you back, but it does inspire a higher percentage of people to return your call. And what's good about this is when people do call us back, they are already less defensive. They feel in control because they've returned the call. It's on their schedule. And yeah, they've looked at the clock so they know they have time for a brief conversation anyway. So we want to use voicemail carefully. We want to show our respect for people's time. We want to tell them when we're going to follow up because we're building our um, interest. We're making promises and keeping them. But we also want to inspire people to call us back because when they do, they're less defensive. So for most of my clients, I'm able to increase their callbacks by 25 to 30%. And while that may not sound phenomenal, it books those people tend to book appointments or book demos. So you can get your conversion rates up substantially from that increase.
0: Well, to me, all this ties right back to that notion that we started with about inspiring conversation. And as you said, those voicemails that you're leaving with the psychology that you're providing. It's just doing that. It, it's, it's, it's striking that genuine curiosity of another human to want to potentially have a conversation. And that's what prospecting is. It's all about generating conversations. We can't sell anything to anybody until we've started that conversation. So speaking of time Mary Jane, I've got to take a quick break so that we can say thank you to our sponsors, but when we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away and sales sooners. You don't go away We'll be right back. Costello has been a sponsor of this show for several months now, so I wanted to call founder and CEO Frank Dale and ask him why exactly he built Costello. You and I have talked to a lot of salespeople, and I've yet to meet one that doesn't want to be great. But if we look at the tools that they have available to them, they're not built to make their job easier. We have CRM, and it's great for contact management. We have awesome tools like our friends at Sales Loft that will help you with cadences and and reaching out to prospective customers. But the second we start talking to someone, we're stuck with Post-it notes, Google Docs, and Evernote templates. And if you're trying to run a dynamic sales call, that just doesn't cut it. And so what that leads to is forgetting to ask that question you meant to ask, not remembering that customer story when you need to tell it, and then data that maybe we need to understand what's going on in the business, not making it back to CRM connect with Frank and his team or request a demo at andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com and see why their platform is truly changing the way reps run sales calls. We're back and it's time for the money round. Mary Jane, are you ready for the money round?
1: I am, I think.
0: (laughs) Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional?
1: persistence, not giving up. I think all of us have moments when we think, oh my goodness, I just can't um, make another call or I just can't meet all these deadlines or whatever it is. But I'm incredibly persistent and I do not give up.
0: If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing?
1: I think, you know, when I started in sales, and I hope your audience finds this humorous, the, in that business that I spoke to you about, our first salaried employee, her job was to read magazines and newspapers and listen to the radio and deliver names of individuals at companies that I could call. Because there was no internet. I know. So I think the first 30 days I would spend on LinkedIn and really uh, research my market and be ready to spend the next 30 days making phone calls.
0: Two-part question for you here. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose.
1: I'm not into win and lose, but the love part works and I love to serve. That's really what brings me joy. So I'm going to land there. And it's because I like to help people, I think. That might be a Canadian thing, not sure. But um, it's really about working with my clients to help them solve a problem.
0: What's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others?
1: Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. It's a tough read Uh, It is about survival in a Nazi concentration camp. So it has multiple uses. It can drag you out of any dark situation you think you're in. But it also is about the human spirit and that we can uh, survive anything, and we can
0: Sales tuners, if you'd like to check out Mary Jane's suggestion of man search for meeting for free, head on over to sales slash book. There you can sign up for a free 30 day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's sales slash book for man search for meeting. It's one that was recommended to me uh, when I went through my startup failure a few years ago, and the takeaways from it were just absolutely incredible. That I, that notion of lifting up man spirit is, is uh, great. So thanks for recommending that. Mary Jane, what's currently at the top of your bucket list?
1: Finishing my second book. <laughs> it is, uh, it's taking uh, longer than I expected. So it's, it is the very top of the bucket list.
0: What's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today?
1: The sale is in the follow-up. When someone says to you, You know, get back to me in two weeks. Give me a month to think about this. Let us, give us time to review this proposal. Don't drop the ball. The sale is in the follow-up. Don't think that because they haven't called you back, the answer is no. They're busy. They're overwhelmed. Lots can be going on in their lives. Priorities change pretty quickly. But if you follow up, you are proving to them that you can serve
0: stay in touch with Mary Jane. She is literally the only Mary Jane cops on LinkedIn. And then on Twitter, she's the phone lady, CA, CA being short for Canada. So the phone lady, CA, or you can pick up her book dubbed the phone book on Amazon and take a deep dive into some of the psychology research she's done about the phone. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, master the first 20 seconds. Look, we all get defensive when we receive an unexpected call from someone who we don't know don't take it personal. This is a cultural thing. However, it is your job to dissolve that defensiveness very quickly. First thing first, remove iffy language. Don't tell them you're just calling as if you have nothing better to do. Also, don't ask them how they are. Not only is this a telltale sign that you're a salesperson, but when a stranger asks about your health, you get even more defensive. You need to quickly get to the reason for your call and then immediately show them how that call is relevant to them. Notice, this has nothing to do with you. Number two, prepare to think on your feet. I get it. Email is easier because you have time to do both think and edit. On the phone, you clearly don't get that luxury. So be prepared. Obviously, you need to have a couple of open-ended questions ready to go, but you also need to know what the three or four typical responses are that you're likely to get from the prospect. As you prepare for those responses, now you just need to ask your questions and then truly listen for the responses. And remember, the sound of the human voice contains so much information you're losing if you just rely on text-based communication. And number three, help prospects make decisions. Look, I've gone against the grain a bit with the notion of decision fatigue from a personal standpoint, but from the point of the prospect, I get it. Instead of leaving everything up to them, Prompt them by giving them the next best step. I've found the hurdle of delay after delay. If I just ask them what's next, that usually comes in the form of, well, let me think about it or let me talk to so and so, etc. But when I give them the next step that most people take or the one I believe is right for them, I can move a deal along a lot faster. Realize you've sold your solution dozens, if not hundreds of times, yet this is the first time they've gone through a sales process for your solution. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, Jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thank you for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salesTuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. And they stay there. And Can we settle this once and for all is a hot dog, a sandwich?